Hi there, this is Casey. I'm just popping in ahead of the episode today just to give you a little trigger warning for today's topic. We're going to be talking about sobriety and that is going to bring up things like alcohol misuse, substance misuse, and maybe difficult mental health topics. So if you're feeling like maybe that topic is not a good one for you today, you can skip it or come back to it later when you're feeling better. In the episode notes, you'll find some resources for the things that we're going to talk about today as well. So if you want to check in on that, that's there for you as well. Otherwise, hope you're having a very gay day. Hello and welcome to another episode of Dicalicious. I'm Casey. And I'm Leah. And today we have a guest with us who is Matilda. Hi Matilda. Hey. Welcome. Nice to be here. <laughs> nice to have, <laughs> nice you. To have you. So today we're going to be talking about queer sobers. Yes, queer sobers. Being queer, being sober. Sober queer queens. Sober queer queens. This is where we are. <laughs> this is this our topic for today. Fun fact, uh, it's estimated that 30% of LGBTQ plus individuals suffer from some form of addiction compared to 9% in the general population. Did you know that? Fun that's fact, question mark. <laughs> Questionable fun not fact. The, not the funnest fact, but very interesting and very on topic for our episode today. That's quite a lot, actually. It is quite a lot, isn't it? Yeah. How much was it again? 30%. Oh my God. It tracks though, I think. Well, that's what we're here to talk about today. Mm. So I guess that we'll start off the episode as we start off every episode mm. and we'll start with Matilda. How gay was your day? How gay was my day? I mean, technically it started very early hours of the morning because I started Lady of a Portrait on Fire. Is that the title? Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Yeah. Um, just to slice it up, yeah. that title. I started that last night, but it went into the wee hours. I had a nice little, like, as I was crossing the road, like, you know, when someone who's obviously queer, you kind of talk each other. <laughs> I love it when that happens. I do like that, yeah. <laughs> and she sort of smiled at me and I was just like, oh this is nice because I'm not like planning on dating anyone or I'm not dating anyone you know in the near future but um it's just nice to know that like when I'm up for that it's gonna be exciting you know it's gonna be very exciting okay okay so you watched the portrait of a lady on fire saw a woman and made eye contact (laughs) in the street oh yeah what else I saw an old couple on the metro who were Two old ladies, like oh, cute. Oh, I love it. I mean, there's a small happens. chance they were like best friends, but they were like stroking each other's hands. Nah, it's just like the history. That was very sweet. That was that was very fast. Warm um, my heart. That, that sounds really cute. That sounds very nice, actually. I love yeah. that. I've had like a wonderful day. Like I was just like walking in the sun in Paris with my coffee, and I was just like, honestly, I was like, how great is it to be sober? Not just because it's the topic, but I was just really happy and not like in an ecstatic kind of like aggressive happiness, just Mm. more of like a calm kind of breath. And I spent some time in the afternoon with a queer sober person as well. And it's not like I'm keeping a tally or anything, (laughs) but it's just, yeah, I think it's it's interesting to notice. It's like you put out kind of like what you attract, I suppose. For sure. Casey, how gay was your day? So actually, I wanted to tell you about yesterday, which was a very gay day for me. Please tell us. So I picked up some furniture from the street and it needed a little bit of TLC. Mm-hmm. I had to go to the hardware store and get some sandpaper. Oh, super gay. Yeah, I know. I was walking around. <laughs> <laughs> I was walking around the hardware store here in Paris. I was feeling really confident because I go to this hardware store a lot because I am one of those kind of lesbians. Mm. And I knew exactly where to go. And I was like, yes, I know. Like, I know my way mm-hmm. around the hardware store. Yeah. And then I came home and I was, so I was like sanding the furniture. And I opened my windows and I was listening to a podcast. It's the Safe Sex podcast. And they were like, they had a guest on who was like a queer dom. And she was talking about what she does. And at some point I realized that I was like, blasting out into my neighborhood (laughs) her information about um, her job and anyway that was a very gay evening I was having a good time 
I'm so happy for you. Thank you. <laughs> Beyond happy. I just love the timely gulp. You were like, queer gay dom, and you were just like, swallow. <laughs> <laughs> but that's not what they tell you to do. That's what you do. If and when they tell you. <laughs> that sounds like a very nice. Yeah, it was pretty, pretty good. It was pretty good. Yeah. I felt very accomplished. I was oh. very happy. Anyway, what about you? How gay was your day? Oh my God, I was so I've been waiting to tell this. So my day was pretty gay. I woke up fucking early to go to work. I was wearing dungarees. Okay. That's right. pretty gay to start with, no? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right, thank you very much. Anyway, so I started my day off in dungarees. Uh, <laughs> and as I arrived <laughs> to La Reciferie to open this morning, uh, I was blasting Fletcher. Okay, nice. Just having a nice, nice, like, it was fucking loud. I'm pretty sure everybody at Port de Ankle was just like, what the fuck is this bitch on? Nothing. But nothing. you <laughs> <laughs> just popping up when we need you. Great. <laughs> and, yeah, what else? And then my girlfriend came and said hello, and we had lunch together. And then I came back here to record an episode with a bunch of fucking queers. Beautiful. <laughs> so uh, I'd say it's... I'd probably rate it a good, like, solid nine out of ten. Okay. The dungarees, like, topped it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. That was, that's definitely. Yeah. yeah. Icing on the cake. Yeah. yeah. I forgot to mention, I've non-stop been listening to the podcast all day to get myself, like, in the frame of mind. So, oh, my God. Really. I think yeah, that takes it from, like, a six to a seven or at least a five <laughs> to a six. It's at least an eight now. <laughs> if you do listen to the podcast, it does make your day gayer by at least 60%. <laughs> so if you did want to have a gay day, you should definitely listen to us more often, right? Yeah, you're off to a great start. Yeah. Congratulations. Congratulations. Snaps. Oh, snaps. Yeah, snaps. <laughs> so let's start at the beginning. How do you and Matilda know each other? Hola. Would you like to, would you like to tell the story or shall I? You can start. Okay. So Matilda and I are both in a program for recovery. Since this is a queer and sober episode, mm -hmm. I have been sober for just over seven and a half years. So since I gave up drinking, one day was having a very bad day and I had these massive cravings to drink again. And I felt like I needed to branch out and, and find find something to, to kind of give me a little bit of support and to help me with the way that I was feeling and the fact that I didn't want to drink again. And so I found a 12-step program and I went to a meeting and the first meeting I didn't connect very much with and so I didn't really go back. I continued the journey solo and after about a year and a half, I rekindled with that same 12-step program and I am now here and I've been, now, I've been in the program for about eight and a half months and I'm I have to say like it's helped me in so many ways that I didn't even think was possible and actually that's how me and Matilda met yes um, in the in that 12-step program so I moved to Paris in September and so that works out to be pretty much when you became part of the sober community in Paris yes and yeah we met in this group of people and in the recovery program and we've been friends ever since <laughs> oh my god <laughs> we have we lost touch a bit when you went to india but it's, hard, it's quite um, hard to stay in touch with people when you're in india yeah oh yeah internet that's also like the internet there is shit yeah, true. but yeah we go to a lot of the same meetups and yeah that's how we know each other yeah I mean, I think, first of all, it's such an important topic to talk about because a lot of people would not necessarily put queer and sobriety together. Mm -hmm. They wouldn't really link it because there's no reason for them to. However, I think something that I've been learning a lot about myself recently is how intertwined they actually are. Crazy. And I think that in many ways with quite similar mainly with the fact that we're both queer and sober um, <laughs> also just the fact that it's because we do have a lot of differences with us with both of our stories mm. um which you guys are going to hear about soon so just like hold tight in it um, <laughs> but 
yeah, I think that it's just, it's really interesting to be able to have these conversations quite openly and to not have, you know, all of the stigmas around them. I think that's something that's very necessary for all of the people that are still struggling out there, people that are still in like active addiction and don't necessarily put the two things together to understand and try to kind of realize that, you know, it's not something that that's necessarily their fault. It's just something that's kind of come up from all of these and stemmed from all of these different kind of things. Yeah. And if you're queer and have an issue with alcohol or substances, like you're definitely not the only one. A hundred percent. And you're also in the right place. Yeah. The statistics Mm -hmm. from what you just read out, like shows the correlation. And it's like, it's interesting because I thought it myself before actually reading the statistics. I was like, I feel like there's a lot there's a higher percentage of queer people out of the sober people that I know than there are just mm-hmm. like in the population yeah. mm. thinking about like why that is and obviously like like being an alcoholic and like being queer are very big parts of people's like identity like they're very interwoven but yeah I'm sure we'll get onto that <laughs> yeah. uh yeah basically how this episode is gonna go is uh, Matilda is going to explain a little bit about how she kind of found those links between her alcoholism and her queerness, <laughs> if yeah. I can put it like that. Yeah. And yeah, we're just going to have a very open and a very honest chat about what we've both realised whilst being on this journey. And um, Casey is is here to listen and learn. To listen and learn and to also to give us some insight that maybe we haven't seen yeah. uh, from our perspective as alcoholics, mm-hmm. which I think pretty much sums up the episode, right? That's yeah. the plan. So, Matilda, if you feel ready, yeah, do you want to tell us a bit about your story of being a queer sober queen? <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, oh my gosh, I don't even know where to start. So I think the reason why... I said yes to doing this and I think like like Leah and Casey the topic is important is because for me my journey with discovering my sexuality and becoming sober are very interlinked Mm -hmm. as well as I would say like my years drinking leading up to that Mm -hmm. and a lot of the struggles I had with alcohol misuse and not feeling at ease with my sexuality I definitely knew, like, had an inkling that I wasn't fully straight when I was, like, you know, early secondary school, like, year seven or year eight. But, I mean, I don't even know where where this idea came from, probably just, like, societal osmosis or something like that. But, um, (laughs) sorry. That's a a beautiful term. (laughs) Societal osmosis. (laughs) To be fair, as soon as I said that, I was like, that sums it up perfectly. Well done, me. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, like, I didn't grow up with, like, homophobia around me or anything like that. So, but I just, I remember, like, fancying this girl, you know, sort of, like, at the beginning of puberty and not just being, like, a kind of, like, Disney crush, you know, situation. And I was sort of like, oh, no, I don't like this. Like, I don't like this at all. It made me feel, like, very uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Um, I think subconsciously I just knew that it wasn't, quote, unquote, what was expected. Yeah, You know, like, I went to a girls' school and all people could talk about were boys, 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 boys. Um, An an all-girls school. An all-girls school. That sounds like heaven. I'm so (laughs) jealous of these people that went to fucking all-girls school. All-girls boarding school. (laughs) We had such a good time. I know, it was really wasted on me because I was just so into it. You had your own experience. That's what it needed to be. It would have been messy, though. Can you imagine having a relationship in boarding school? Who said anything about a relationship? <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, just sort of had this this instant like no 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 like kind of panic, mm. gay panic. That's gay what panic. I had. Okay. I had gay panic at the age of eleven or twelve, and I sort of just sort of ran away from it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that's where it stayed for a long time. And then coincidentally, it came up again when I my drinking picked okay. up. Um, and obviously I was a bit older and a, a bit more interested in like dating and or sex around like 16. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it really coincided. I think like I quote unquote came out for the first time when I was nearly 17 and I had my first uh, night of drinking when I was 16. So it's like very uh-huh. in time yeah. with each other. And um, 
when I was 16, I knew the first time I drank that I had a problem with alcohol. Like I didn't put the term like addict or alcoholic on it because that's pretty heavy for a 16 year old who's just like. Had a sip of beer, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, can I do this? <laughs> yeah. But um, like I was, you know, I was, I'm a very anxious person, you know, like mm-hmm. I, I had real difficult uh, mental health issues from the age of about 12 up until 16. Mm-hmm. well up until the present moment but I was like intensive <laughs> the actual present moment though. <laughs> you know all that my adolescence you know I feel like I've had kind of like two stints of recovery it was recovery as a teenager and dealing with my OCD and anxiety mm-hmm. um, and seeking outside help for that and then a, a second kind of go at recovery with alcoholism um so yeah, I knew I, I had a I had a problem with it, not because I was like waking up and pouring gin on my cornflakes. Yeah, how I knew I sort of had an issue with it that early on was I was so anxious, painfully anxious in social situations. Like I didn't, it's like I forgot how to like be a human. It was like I was a robot, you know, like really bad social anxiety. Um, and I, I had panic attacks and stuff like that. And I remember like, so if I walk into a room and there's a hundred thoughts in my head, with every drink that I took, it just went down like 90, 80, 70 until I'm yeah. in blackout, you know? Yeah. And like, you know, I think my misconceptions about addiction were like physical um, dependence on drugs. Like I, when someone says addict, I think of like heroin, you know, mm-hmm. you don't think of like a girl at 16 getting blackout drunk at a party, you know? Yeah. And like, was I ready? Like, was it obvious I had an issue then? No, like I just got blackout drunk at a party when I was 16. It just, I was like, Oh, I really haven't found my feet with drinking yet. Mm. you know, like I need a bit more experience. Um, and that is true. Like I needed more experience to show me that it really wasn't meant for me. And that I was pretty much allergic to it. Mm. Um, but yeah, I woke up the next day and my like mental health was on the floor. Like, I had mental health issues, but I was never like depressive or suicidal. It was always like quite anxious OCT tendencies yeah. and alcohol is a depressant, like chemically, I believe. Yeah. Um, and you know, it, I was just on the floor. Like most of my friends did some embarrassing stuff and were like, Oh, feel a bit shit about that. I'm not going to do that again. Yeah. Um, and I was like unconsolable. Um, mm. and you know, that was the first time I drank and I swore off actually which is funny looking back, like I swore off alcohol, drugs and love at the age of 16. Oh, wow. Yeah. Triple threat. For real. Like I was like, if I cannot handle like a party with some wine and I mean, there was some more alcohol there, but that's what you were drinking at 16. No. Well, it was like an after prom party. So I had like, I mixed everything. Like I had champagne, beer, like spirits. Yeah. I mean, at one point in the party, like, I knew it was messed up, like, looking back, because people were starting to go home, the party was starting to pack up, and I, and I, I could feel myself getting more and more sober, and I went round the party, like, rattling tins to see if there was anything left. Fuck off, man. Yeah. That is definitely a sign. Yeah. And I had no, like, clue that yeah. that was, like, a sign of it being an issue. But I just didn't want it to wear off. Like, I didn't want to come back to myself. Yeah. Drinking, for me, was, like, meditation. I felt like I could be exactly who I wanted to be when I was drinking. Mm-hmm. I was relaxed. Mm-hmm. I was free. I wasn't self-conscious. It almost felt like there was no accountability for anything because I could yeah. just blame it on being drunk. Mm-hmm. So I was just like completely relaxed. But obviously that's not how it works. People still hold you accountable when you yeah. fuck shit up when you're drunk. Yeah, so I swore it off. It didn't last very long. And I have dozens and dozens and dozens of stories like that um, over the next five, six years and as you can imagine like the more like the older you get the more freedom you have in your life and your choices the more capacity there is for it to go wrong Mm. and so my consequences just got worse and worse I put myself in physical danger a lot of the time Mm -hmm. um my come downs were getting worse and worse and worse every time I lowered the bar like to say like oh I'll stop if this happens I would just go past it and and do worse and worse things I was always taking breaks (laughs) Mm -hmm. I was always trying to fix my life quote unquote like there was always a fad or I was doing yoga or I was only eating organic or like 
like this will do it do you know what i mean yeah um so yeah that was sort of my uh experience with drinking and um i knew i had to stop when i had a really good life i had a really good life i was living where i wanted to live in london i had friends i had everything i ever wanted and it, it still wasn't enough to for me not to want to change the way i felt mm. and to solve that kind of disease not disease well disease but dis-ease within myself yeah mm-hmm. um and i couldn't stop um you know i think i lasted three weeks without getting any help or support and i would relapse and it, i was just on a cycle and i was exhausted yeah there was yeah there was no space in my life to kind of do any sort of personal development or grow like a, a an early 20 something because i was just on the cycle of like self-destruct clear up get sober self-destruct clear up get sober um and you can fill in the gaps with the consequences i think yeah. <laughs> um but yeah mm-hmm. i've kissed a couple boys not nice experiences but it might have been the alcohol but you were drunk so it's fine we'll just... <laughs> but we <laughs> my uh, decision making skills were impaired <laughs> um but yeah my first i don't count it as like having sex for the first time but i had a sort of sexually toned experience like it was mm-hmm. more than just making out but it wasn't having sex like fooling around you know kind of vibe. it was such a weird evening i was with my friend we got really drunk and we sort of had a moment let's say and yeah. in the moment i was like no no no, i can't do this and it really tied in for me because the next name obviously i had the shame and guilt about the drinking mm-hmm. and then the come down and the impact that it has on my, my mental health tied in with the shame and guilt of acting on kind of like my attraction to yeah. another woman and it meshed itself in my head a little bit um but not anymore which is the great thing about getting sober nice. but um yeah and then i like the more dangerous sort of my drinking got um the more closed off i was to that sort of thing you know like drinking is a very self-destructive thing if you're an alcoholic or an addict mm-hmm. it's not a loving thing to do to yourself it's not it isn't almost doesn't make like kind of biological natural sense because no, you're doesn't. destroying yourself yeah. um and that that place had no room to grow in me like that that like flame that i kind of discovered I wasn't nurturing it at all. I wasn't like giving it any space. I was suffocating it in a way mm. with um, this habit that was just destroying my life and my self-esteem um, and my mental health. And um, so I didn't actually kiss or have any sort of kind of romantic sexual contact with anyone for about four or five years. Um, right. When most people were doing their like, first relationships boyfriend girlfriend whatever there's one kind of time yeah yeah i completely just kind of cut it off for me like how i'm powerless over alcohol i felt very powerless over sex relationships and my sexuality and it, it scared the crap out of me and you know like real intimacy is very scary for anyone mm. um let alone someone who can't even like sit with themselves you know yeah. and i think i knew how much of a big deal it would be for me and i just completely cut it out you know i dated a few people but nothing serious didn't you you know i only had my first sober kiss last year why wow. do you know what you got there eventually yeah also i'm not like 45 like How old are you? <laughs> i'm 22 now i first time i got sober i was five days off turning 21 met my ex a couple six months later and then i unfortunately had a relapse in january but i am actually six months back as of a few days ago yes <laughs> but Good job on the six months. There were so many things that I resonated with within your story. I think for me, when I gave up or when I was still drinking, I was drinking for a reason of just, yeah, not wanting to be myself. And it's also why I wanted to be an actress. I wanted to be somebody else. And so if I was acting and if I was constantly in another kind of state or being somebody else, then I wouldn't be myself. And that was fucking Mm. great. Um, and also like I mean I think I started drinking a little bit younger than you did Um, I was 13 and it was literally it started as soon as I started my first relationship with a with a girl 
Um, and again, like my mental health got really, really bad. Um, I started drinking without just being around my friends. I started drinking at home. I started stealing. I started doing a million things that if I had told, like if I would just kind of disclose them to you, I'm sure that somebody would feel, would not recognize that person in me. And mm-hmm. I would hope that at least, because that's not the person that I, w- I would like to be. I think that the that me realizing that I was attracted to women and also realizing at the same time that I was not attracted to boys in any way set me off even more because like people already bullied the, the girl that was a lesbian at school. Mm. I didn't want to be that girl. Mm. Um, so I would just drink and just fucking try to cover up how I was feeling about it. And it got to the point where it was just impossible to continue doing that. And it was not, it was not taking me in a good direction. I was a very horrible person. I was doing really dangerous things. I was putting people's lives at risk. I was putting myself at risk. Um, You were in pain. I was in pain. And I feel like... I mean, they're not mutually exclusive. (laughs) Both, I suppose. (laughs) You can be a cunt and in pain. (laughs) Um, Like, since I've joined this programme... I feel like I have really started to understand the relationship between my alcohol and my queerness. Mm. And I've kind of understood where they kind of coincide. Yeah. um, And where they really connected and hit it off. Um, And it's just, it's so nice to be able to take a step back and look from a sober perspective and be like, wow, these things are connected. Um, and obviously, alcoholism is a disease. It's not just something that just pops up. But uh, it's something that's so hard to understand in the moment. I think you'd agree with me with that one. Oh, like, yeah. It's it's such a difficult kind of... Everyone's, know. like, journey to sobriety is different. Like, some people have a, a rock-bottom sort of incident and they're like, I just... I can't believe I did that. I need to try something else. Some people just get tired. Mine was fear for sure. Like I was, it was like playing Russian roulette for me. I was like, one of these days I'm going to wake up and done something where I can't get over it. Like, I mean, I had like paranoia, delusions. Some people think like you can only get those kind of experiences on drugs. Mm. But if you have an allergy to alcohol, it's not the same for every person who's an alcoholic. But my experience was like, I couldn't tell what was real and what was not mm-hmm. like it was hard to tell when I was completely sober when I was not yeah stuff like that just kind of mixes in together and yeah it's not really too sure like where reality lies and like what's yeah no perspective on anything 100%. like my concept of time was so messed up as well yeah mm. you know mm. I asked just before Leah you said that the program kind of helped you see the link between the struggles you were having with your queerness and the alcohol. Mm -hmm. How do they approach that that made you link those two things? So there are many different 12-step programs and in those kind of programs you tend to work a lot on yourself and like your attitude and your outlook upon life and I guess you kind of analyse the situations that you've been in before and you know like just try to understand them and understand what feelings you were having and why you reacted in certain ways and it's all just to kind of in the future to like better yourself and to like steer away from that and be aware and say okay cool so I had this experience and I reacted in this way why did I do that what's what's actually like below the surface is it because Mm. I'm scared of something what are you saying like Am I, just, I, am I being selfish? Is it yeah. is it an old wound that's resurfacing? Mm. Like, is it resentment? Yeah, I mean, like, you just kind of, you try to kind of pick out exactly why you reacted like that and, and mm. what feelings you were having at the time and just kind of sit with them and just really try to understand them. I was just going to say, like, a big part of getting sober is acting. It builds, you build your self-esteem by doing esteemable things. It's about taking action, you know, to change your attitude and outlook upon life. And you start you start making choices that you're proud of and you start living in a way that feels more like yourself and more peaceful in a way. Hmm. And I think when you ha- do esteemable things, you build self-esteem, you're more likely to love yourself, like, hmm. in as that way, are, yeah. as you are. And, like, a big part of doing this sort of work on yourself is 
reconciling with the past acknowledging it but leaving it there there's Mm -hmm. an awful lot of like acceptance and forgiveness and so there's no like magic cure with with any issue you know like if you're in therapy if you're getting help in another way if you're in 12 step like it takes practice Mm. and you have to practice kind of accepting yourself and loving yourself but yeah I think you forgive yourself for being hard on yourself in the past like I beat myself up a lot about it because I was like I feel like everyone around me was queer in some way, shape or form. I'm like, it's 2022, 2023. This is not a thing anymore. I should be able to just like go with the flow and accept this part of myself. Like I, I had shame about having shame and I had to like (laughs) forgive myself for responding the way I did. Hmm. And, you know, once, once you start changing that internal narrative of being like, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I was like that. And you change it to, oh, this is interesting, I'm excited to learn more, or Mm -hmm. I'm nervous to learn more, but it's more neutral and more loving. Definitely, I think that helped me with, um, like, coming to terms with my sexuality and actually being it being something that I'm proud of. Mm -hmm. The other thing I just want to say is, like, shout out to the sober community in Paris because it is so queer. It really is, honestly. It's, there are so, there are so many fucking queers in this program. I know, and it's like, when when you were sharing about your story what it reminded me of was like when I was younger feeling like it othered me and when you're a kid wanting to feel a part of and Mm. feeling like other and because they were honestly like cool as subjective but there's so many cool queer sober people in Paris they're honestly Mm. like it's fucking insane I was like I want to be one of them oh wait I am (laughs) and it just it was so great like in the same way that you've talked about on the podcast how important it is to have your queer community Mm. like no one understands alcoholism like an alcoholic yeah and then if you layer queer on top of that like we already have so many like two massive things in common and it's just you know you talk about chosen family a lot as well in the queer community Mm -hmm. and I definitely feel like that I have that in my sober community as well yeah for sure I feel like it's a very important part of sobriety as well to have that kind of community around you where you do feel safe and where you do feel kind of accepted and also um respected Mm. uh and i don't know i think like the the understanding i think every single day that goes on i do understand a little bit more about how deep rooted my queerness and my alcoholism kind of merged Mm. because Every day, like, I do one of the steps and I'm just looking at it and every day I'm taking a new relationship and I'm turning it upside down and trying to find out everything about it. And I'm just like, oh, okay, so this was affected by this and I wouldn't have reacted like that if I hadn't been doing this and and whatever. And you just kind of, like, it's literally like a game of, like, join the dots, (laughs) you know? I mean, that's how it opened my eyes to, like, the queer and sober thing and how they interlink. And also it makes a lot of sense, you know, like in within the queer community, especially for like queer men, there's a lot of like parties, there's a lot of drugs, there's a lot of poppers, <laughs> there's a lot of alcohol. You know, first thing you do when you go into a, into a gay bar is like, okay, cool, can I buy somebody a drink? Mm-hmm. I mean, I know that happens in most bars and that's just like a general way to pick up somebody. That's why I but love it, your cookie thing. Yeah, the cookie <laughs> thing. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I love the cookie thing. I was like, that is one sober way to pick someone up. How was it like for you guys approaching socialising again after you became sober? Because you were talking, Matilda, about how Mm. the drinking really helped with your social anxiety. Yeah. Helped in quotation marks. Was it hard to find spaces where people were not drinking as much? Socialising. Okay, so one of the best things to come out of being sober for me is definitely the people that I've met. Obviously, being sober is the best thing to come out of getting sober. Mm-hmm. but the people that I've met has definitely been one of the best things I have great friends who are who are not sober but I have also some really close best friends from the 12-step program and you know I have been clubbing you know and it sounds so square I have been clubbing you know <laughs> that's what homophobic people say when they're I know like, that's what I mean my like, cousin's no, brother my, is gay I, I do know a gay person somewhere so I have been clubbing whilst I've been sober and it is fucking great I'm not gonna lie when you're going for the right reasons you know like I've been tempted in the past to be like oh I'm having a bad day let's go and be around some like fucked up people to kind of Mm. you know 
but I've never kind of acted on that, you know, because I recognize that as not the most sober thought in the world and putting mm -hmm. myself in risk. Yeah. But me and sober friends have, um, me and one friend actually, who is also queer, uh, like go to a bar, get a grenadine, then go clubbing and we're there for the music and we're mm. like vibing. It's mm. so fun and it's so great kind of because other people are drunk so they're not even paying attention to you. Yeah. Um, and you know, I get to the club, I dance for like a couple hours, I go home, it's great. Um, but also like there's so much more to life than just like getting pissed and sitting across the table from other drunk people. Yeah, like, and having like the conversations that just go round and round and round and round. My, my point being like, there's so many fun things that you can do that are sober. 100%. Um, that are so much more fun. And they're also more meaningful as well. Oh, like, yeah. You know, you go out and you're with, for example, when you go out with people that are also sober, it's just nice, you know, like everybody is on the same level. You're there mm. for the same reasons. Mm. you remember the whole night you're like there present and like aware of things that are happening you can really just enjoy yourself without mm. having to be like oh my god let's go and get another drink and let's just like spend 10 minutes just waiting in line you know it's and cheaper. then like but definitely first of all yeah it's fucking cheaper second of all like you drink a lot of water which is fantastic like really great for your body um, <laughs> Yeah, did you drink water today? Go and get a glass of water. This is for the listeners, huh? Mm -hmm. Spice it up though. Like it gets boring drinking water, I find. So like, I drink a grenadine, ginger juice. A oh, nice syrup. Ginger sure. juice is great. Mm -hmm. I was gonna say that drinking as a like pastime of mine was very destructive, like as I've mentioned, and I feel like as destructive as it was, I sort of have the same amount of creativity now. You know, all the, the kind of things I was interested in pre-getting sober have just blossomed even more. Mm -hmm. It's like, I wake up and I'm like, what do I want to do today? Like, the first thing that pops into my head is like, roller skate, or draw, or go to the park, or get a coffee with someone, or go to a museum. You know, it's just, it's such a nicer energy than, oh my god, I want to die, how am I going to get through this day? Let's have more alcohol to make it feel better. Yeah, and like... I'm not saying that I got sober and I felt like that. The first couple months to six months, rough. Mm. Really, really uh, difficult to put down the drink and just sit with how you're feeling for the first time in a long time. Um, and it's a very scary thing to do. And that's why we don't do it alone. Yeah. How did you go about finding the support for that? Um, so I have a friend who is queer and sober. And shout out, shout out a, a family friend who I've known my whole life mm. and um, I knew she was sober but I didn't know that she had like help for it mm. um, and I got in touch with her one day after doing another three weeks or so off and the exact same thing happening and I was like do you drink and she was like no I've been sober how many years and I was like I literally remember typing the words just tell me what to do I'll do anything not to feel like this again, mm. something along those lines. And she put me in touch with someone who um, was in a 12 step program near me. And um, we've been in touch ever since. Mm. And um, sorry, it sounds like a little Tinder thing. Yeah. Like an ad 12 step program near you. <laughs> he was my first mentor in the program mm. and he yeah, helped me a lot. And yeah, I, um, I've been getting help ever since. So what, what would you say one of the most like enriching experiences that you've had so far from being sober? I would say the relationships I've had, like whether that's platonic like or romantic, mm -hmm. just being able to be completely myself and connect with other people. I definitely had that pre-sobriety in friendships, but never in something romantic. Yeah. And that's where I think being queer and getting sober really converge for me because as I've been saying like I built my self-esteem I was feeling better about myself I was nurturing the things that make me Matilda you know like my individual aspects and stuff yeah. like that and um when I was around six months sober I met a girl 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's now my ex. Uh. <laughs> yeah, I met a girl. I moved to Paris, and within a week, I met this girl. Okay. And um, Paris does that too. Paris does do that. Although most of the time, when you're queer, it's like you move to Paris for a girl. Are you speaking from personal experience? I'm speaking from yes. more than personal experience. <laughs> I think more than half of us at this table have done that. Oh my word. Mm. You romantics. Yeah, so I moved to Paris for like a study abroad program. And within a week, I met the person that would become my girlfriend, my first love, my first relationship. It's not not all cute, but it was at the beginning. And I was sort of kind of at a crossroads with this topic of my sexuality within myself. I was you know, practicing the principles of my new outlook, which, you know, were acceptance and stuff like that. And it came up. I remember she uh, came up to me after class. I was like, she's Italian. And she was like, you have such beautiful hair and beautiful eyes. Um, And every time she said hair, I thought she was saying ears. And I thought, I was like, what the actual hell? Like this person's complimenting my ears, but no. You do have nice ears though. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) Do I? Thanks. She said she's not dating anyone for six months. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, I just sort of had this kind of, do you know when I say like tingly glow? Like in my chest, like kind of butterflies. Yeah, like like it's ooh la la, but in a feeling. It's like Mm -hmm. ooh. And I remember immediately thinking like, oh shit, like this is happening. I've, I've finally got a kind of open the book i've read the blurb but it's now time to open the book (laughs) and start reading on this chapter it wasn't recommended to me that i start like a relationship uh in early sobriety and uh i see why Mm -hmm. um because it's a big deal for anyone uh, let alone someone who you know was so low just six months earlier but nonetheless we started texting and i was you know really I had a lot of false starts like before that with like talking stages with guys and girls actually. Mm-hmm. Um, but this one was sort of kind of happening. Mm-hmm. <laughs> actually, it's super random. But she was like, she was telling me her story of coming out as a sort of like, I'm gay, by the way. And um, she was like, and you? And I didn't tell her I was gay. I told her I was an alcoholic. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "What? what's personal to me that I can share to bond with this person? <laughs> I'm an alcoholic. I'm an alcoholic. Yeah. And anyway, we, we started talking and yeah, it was fucking amazing and really hard at the same time. And there's so many aspects to that. It That just like flooded me, you know, and I didn't. Mm at the time fully have the capacity to kind of process it like I dissociated the first time we made out afterwards because it was just for someone who's always trying to escape the way that they feel to be that present in your body and in an experience is like it can be really overwhelming for sure and also we made out a club and so you know like it I woke up the next day and it felt very reminiscent of my drinking days like I made out with someone in a club I stank a cigarette smoke. Like it was very like sensually reminding me of my past. And then the same thing sort of came up when I had my first sexual experience. I was like, holy crap. I am so in the moment right now. Hmm. Like there is no escape. But luckily at the time, like she was actually really amazing with it. She put no pressure on me whatsoever. And yeah, I uh, felt like pretty hard. And it was yeah mutual for a time and then I mean I'm not going to talk about like her experience but we both have like things come up Hmm. and I just don't think I was equipped to deal with like the weight of the emotions and the weight of the experience I was having like I went from not dating or like not having that kind of depth of or that type of connection with anyone to having it in sobriety and early sobriety and it was just a lot to yeah to deal yeah, with it's pretty scary but yeah it's not many it's not a story I don't think that many alcoholics can tell that they had their first love and sexual experience sober and I like I'll always be grateful for that hmm. yeah emotional oh nice yeah I'm really happy that you got to experience that mm-hmm. I feel very grateful for it to be honest it's more just like I don't know 
when you go from a state of like destroying yourself in that way to in six months through working on yourself being at a point where not only you accept yourself you can act on it and like whether you're queer or not like physical and emotional intimacy is like a really big deal yeah um and it's like a very scary thing to kind of Mm. especially for the first time being emotionally open in that way with someone yeah and like already that first relationship is so big and you were already in the process of doing all this self-love and accepting and Mm. and all of that and somebody said to me once that relationships are really like you put you're putting a mirror up in front of you and you're seeing everything about yourself where your your girlfriend or your partner is reflecting all that back on you yeah Yeah, if you want to know what you're insecure about date someone (laughs) yeah Yeah. so that's a lot to deal with Mm. like at no point when I started seeing my ex was I doing it in isolation like I was on the phone with my mentor or my current mentor is queer and sober and I would have FaceTime calls about how I felt and her her sharing her experience really helped me I was around a lot of queer fellows who made me not only feel okay but like great about Mm. it they were like how cool is this what you're doing like of course it's scary of course like you're going to be nervous like isn't that amazing that you can like be vulnerable and accept yourself I think what was difficult for me was like being newly sober and having the avalanche of emotions that comes with coming out in a way because mm-hmm. I mentioned it to my friend and my mum before but like not my brother for example or my other friends and like I had so much internalized homophobia that I had to unpack like within a month or so I went from like straight denial to having a girlfriend mm. and it was like whoa, whoa 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 of course I did not do anything by halves <laughs> like I remember I couldn't hold a hand at the start I was mm. just so like in my head mm. you know I'm in my head anyway but even more and it was a lot I was like who knows blah 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 blah, blah. <laughs> And she did say something very nice to me once. I, I said to her one time. She's one time. <laughs> no, she, we had a lovely relationship at the start. Anyway, I said to her, like, I don't I don't think you realise, like, how quick this time frame is for me. Mm. Um, she was like, yeah, to be fair, you've kind of done what I did in about five years in about five weeks. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> fucking I mean, hard. to be fair, like, it does sound like it was pretty fucking intense. Like, Yeah. I mean, I think she stayed over, like, five, four Four nights, like, the first week we started dating. Oh, not standard. Standard stuff. (laughs) That's actually quite low. (laughs) Normally it's, like, six and a half. But I Um, didn't think I'd be ready for that till I was, like, 24, 25. It's funny. Life and people surprise you, you know? Like, when Mm. I think when you just have that feeling, you have that feeling and you just want to go with it because it feels so good. And there's all of these things, like, kind of pulling you towards it. And then by the time that you've caught up with what's happening, you're like, whoa, where whoa, the fuck am yeah. I? How did this happen? Like, this, mm. is, this has gone really fast. Um, which I think is the other good thing about the program, which is like taking it like a day at a time and just kind of understanding yeah. where you're at and, and not trying to foresee things too much and just thinking about, okay, like, what am I doing right now? Mm. Being very present and kind of in the moment. Uh, I'm trying to understand like how you feel right then and there instead of worrying about the past or the future or whatever you know and being okay being in a gray area yeah like I tried for so long to be like I'm bisexual no I'm pansexual no I'm a lesbian no I'm bisexual no I'm pansexual no I'm a lesbian back and forth and back and forth and I was like I'm in the gray zone and that's okay and if I find a label more specific in the future that I'm comfortable with that's cool too but if not, you know, like I have to be okay in a process. Mm, and it's yeah, like, there's not, there's not a point where I'm recovered you know, mm-hmm. or I'm over something. It's the same with heartbreak. I'm not going to be like done, like bish bash bosh doesn't hurt anymore. You know, like recovery and progress isn't linear. It's going to go up and down. It's the yeah, same it's with alcoholism. It's the same with progress with accepting your sexuality. It's the same with anything sort of change that you're having in your life from my experience yeah well of course like there are good and bad days you know and there are days that feel better than others especially with like how comfortable you are in yourself and stuff but I think that it's really good that you're not putting this pressure on yourself to figure out 
which label belongs to you or whatever like mm. it's something that also you know might change and there's there's absolutely no rush for that um, to decide or to put yourself in a box and stay there forever you know no i mean i've heard a lot of people say that sexuality is fluid it is so you know i mean i would definitely say i have a preference for women <laughs> but yeah i just i remember feeling at the time like this is amazing like you know the female gaze of feeling so amazing so different from the way that i had um been looked at by men i think in the past yeah. it just like we felt so equal and so close yeah i mean i think that's how people feel when they have feelings for each other but i was just so happy that i was like i'm so glad that i'm at a place where i didn't miss this because I was fucked up or I was hating myself. Yeah. Like I created enough space in my life to be open to this sort of experience and all the feelings that come along with it, good and bad. 100%. I wanted to ask if there's anything that is a good way to support, more like friends of sober, sober oh, queers. Okay. How can we support you on your journey? Like, I think if you're not an addict or an alcoholic yourself, yeah. I think one of the, the nicest thing is not taking it personally if you don't understand something, like how your addict or alcoholic is expressing themselves. You know, it's not a reflection on your relationship or mm. like, oh, we're not close enough because I don't understand this part of them mm. or we're not oh, as yeah, intimate sure. as if it was two alcoholics or two sober people. Like We're not on the same wavelength with like regards no. to like personal progress and stuff like that sometimes. No, yeah. like I think we have a lot of talking about like your side of the street and my side of the street mm. and like you can support someone and not know what they're going through and they can get support from other addicts and alcoholics mm -hmm. to help them in that way and just showing up and showing love and having boundaries if you need boundaries is like a loving way to have a relationship platonic or romantic with a partner ask them how they're feeling don't take it personally if um, they want to mm -hmm. talk to another alcoholic or addict about it specifically. Or also, like if they cancel plans and stuff to go to meetings, if they're yeah, if they're open with that kind of stuff, just because I know that there have been times where I've cancelled plans with friends because I wanted to be around my sober <laughs> community, and I've it's not that I've been made to feel bad or feel like I was doing something wrong, but just. I felt bad because I put the pressure on myself. Mm. But yeah, just if that is a thing, don't get offended or whatever. Yeah, it's not, it's not about you. Yeah, it's not at all. It's just, it's nice to have that kind of safe, very secure area and space to know that there are certain issues that just will be like much more easily understood mm -hmm. and kind of, yeah, more resonating for them mm. and more kind of... Not necessarily advice because we're not always looking for advice, but like just to have somebody there that understands mm. how you feel. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like it's not something that's that needs to be taken personally. Yeah, I wanted to share that like just people who make sobriety their priority isn't it like an indication of the your relationship with them at all. Mm. The point in sobriety is to be able to have the kind of relationships that you deserve and want in your life. And by putting that first, it's not saying that other things come second. It's saying I have to do this in order to be there for you. Yeah. Mm. Because if I'm drinking, I'm no use to anyone. I mm. wanted to, if we have time, I wanted to share this metaphor okay. that is the most like beautiful thing I've heard in recovery, which oh. is um, so sobriety and like your life as a sober person is sort of like a plant pot with soil in it and then flowers growing in it. And all the flowers represent different areas of your life. So for me, it could be like my life in Paris, my job ambitions, my studies, my friends, my sexuality, stuff like that. So there were these flowers growing out. The soil is kind of like life force of the world and love. And sobriety is the vase that holds, up, holds that all together. And it's like, if you don't hold on to that vase, you're going to drop it and the, and the soil is going to go everywhere and the flowers are going to die. But equally as much, if you try and grab on to any of the flowers in the vase, you're not going to be able to hold on to the vase anymore. Mm. So if I try and put romance or a relationship above sobriety, which I've done in the past, and I reach for that flower, I'm going to drop it and sobriety is going to smash. And my capacity to be open to like love in the world is 
going to be destroyed mm. and I'm going to have to rebuild that all again. You know, all I have to focus on is staying sober and being of service and everything sort of just works itself out. Mm-hmm. You'd be surprised like how accepting you can be with practice, I think. Yeah, for sure. And I gratitude. Yeah. I think that is a very nice question. Yeah, thanks for sharing. Very nice. So just for any of the people that are listening, if you do have or you do think that you have a problem with addiction or alcoholism or any kind of problems like that, there are so many things available online. If you typed in, for example, in on Google, alcoholic meetings. Yeah, or what should I do if I think I'm an alcoholic? I mean, like, there will be a lot of stuff that pops up, like, in your country or even in your city. Obviously, in big cities, there's a lot more access to the different 12-step programs. Yeah. So that really does depend. And feel free to send us a message as well. There are other options out there if you try and it's not for you. But I would say to go in with an open mind and to listen to the similarities for sure but we will also include some links in the description just to give you a little head start Mm. on uh, getting sober what have you got to lose you know like if you try and it's not for you you can always go back for sure Um, and also if you're sober without help and you're finding it hard that is really normal like most people need help with maintaining this lifestyle and I can vouch for that I think that it is Without having the tools that I have now, I struggled much more without having a program to how I feel now, full of support coming from every fucking direction, Mm. full of like love and community and feeling like I'm a part of something very important as well. The other only thing I would say is like if you're in the throes of addiction, like if you're in active addiction, like there is a way out if you want it. And you don't have to keep suffering, you know, in silence. Living sober is definitely possible. And, um, you know, it's turned out greater than I I ever could have expected. So, um, yeah, you're not alone. And there's a way out if you want it. Beautiful. Cool. I did just want to ask if, for example, you were sitting at a coffee shop with some... Been looking forward to this. Some cute lady, like at a different table, giving you confident eye contact mm-hmm. do you have a little pickup line for her depends if she's sober or not uh, first no, of all i would say yes to the cookie i think that's genius thank you very i much. wish i had the balls to do that maybe i will <laughs> one day should, should you should definitely and um, you got so much flack for that as well i know i did i love the cookie me. thing different folks different strokes guys <laughs> All right. Okay. okay, so uh, yes, of course, I always have a comment for a lovely lady friends. I would probably like walk up to her and then I'd get my phone out and say, oh, I just got a Google notification for the best places to eat out and you were at the top of the list. <laughs> oh, good Lord. Come on, that was really good, no? I don't think I'd say yes to that one. All right. Well, it depends how much charm you had with it. Of course, I have a lot of charm. So if you have related to anything that was said during this episode and feel like you also maybe have a problem, we will obviously include a few websites in the episode show notes, as well as if you have anything that you want to ask us or ask to me or to ask Matilda, then please feel free to send us a message. You can get in touch with us at dicalicious.podcast at gmail.com. Or on our Instagram at dicalicious underscore podcast. And if you feel like it, a little five-star review will be very helpful. We do like a little five-star review. Let us know what you think. And yeah, and just to help us kind of spread the word and... Keep going. Yeah, man, keep going. Yeah. And and a massive, massive, massive thank you to Matilda. Yes, thank you so much for coming here. For coming on here and sharing. Thanks for asking. I was really, like, touched when you asked me, actually. But yeah, it's been very special. Thank you. Thank you very much. Also, just want to say a massive thank you to our producers, Elle and Maria, as well. Yes. So stay strong out there, lesbians. Yes, stay strong. <laughs> and I'll speak to you next week. Thank you. Bye. That was fucking great. Oh, Let them hear us sing. Free the nipple. Free the nipple. Let it slip. Just the tip. Free the nipple. Release the